This is One North Stories. Our goal here is quite simple. We provide hyper-local, brand-based storytelling at the intersection of science, technology, and business here in Singapore with a global perspective. We are starting with a launch series focused on technology startups, and then plan to take the podcast broader, telling our stories, your stories, about the Singapore deep tech ecosystem. Whether you work as a venture capitalist on Sand Hill Road or in Southeast Asia, already doing R&D in Singapore, or perhaps a student dreaming big about technology, or someone in between. Join us to learn about the exciting technology being developed in our labs in Singapore, their translation journeys to market, and the inspirational people coming together to make yesterday's dream reality. If you have future episode ideas, segment ideas, or want to partner with us on this exciting journey, please get in touch. Our contact details are in the show notes. These are our stories. We hope they inspire you to create your own. And now, on to the show. So Endure is an interesting company. We're actually what we call a venture science model company. What we're actually doing is using hydrogen to store the long duration storage problem. And what that means is that as we increase the penetration of renewables, you need to add storage into your system to offset the volatility and the uncertainty associated with your generation. We're applicable across a broad range of markets, but really we're targeting, targeting commercial and industrial operations that need energy on site and can't rely on traditional grids. So these are generally off-grid or diesel dependent um, um, locations. We are doing biofuel conversions from different types of plant-based waste. This is what we call Gen 2, which is the food waste where we specifically towards the agricultural waste or garden waste, palm oil waste, etc. We are basically producing biobutanol where it can be applied either in uh, aviation fuel or maritime fuel. Where maritime now is our first featured market to push towards, so we are closely working with MPA in Singapore, also other shipping industry like partner. Our fuel is compatible to those gasoline engines, so we can do a drop-in. But if you're going to diesel engine, we might need to mix the fuel towards the other conventional fuels. Currently, we our scale, the maximum we can take is around 100 to 100 kg per day. So we are fundraising towards a bigger scale, which they call a pre-commercial plant, which can take 10 tons to 100 tons per day. What we're doing is focusing on solar and increasing the efficiency of existing and new solar panels by applying a nanomaterial coating process to the surface of any kind of panel um, and increasing their efficiency. In, in terms of overall performance ratio, it goes up by 18%. And then in terms of energy output, it goes up by 4%. And these are minimums that we've given. In field tests and lab tests, we've reached up as high as like 22 overall ratio and 8% uh, in energy output. So we're at technology readiness level seven, which, is, which means that we've com completed commercial pilots We are using carbon dioxide to create single cell proteins, which is also called as alternative proteins. It's a two-step gaseous fermentation process. In the first stage, we are using carbon dioxide from certain high carbon emitting industries like sugar and ethanol. And we are using that and feeding it to these organisms. Now, these microorganisms are ones which are naturally available in the nature and these survive on carbon dioxide and they produce certain sort of organic acids 
which basically becomes a feedstock for our second stage process. In the second stage process, we are using this organic assets from the first stage and feed it to another set of organisms, particularly edible microorganisms. These are called as grass organisms as well. And they are potent enough to create various types of proteins. Currently at our POC stage, uh, we are uh, doing experiments at the flask level and a two liter fermenter. That is where we, we are going to study the initial primary results. And then further going down the line by a year's time from now, next year, we would be expanding to a pilot scale, which will be around a 50 liter, 200 liter fermenter. We have a specific model we are looking forward to create in our product development, which is called as the MAAS, Microorganism as a Service. Today, we have a bonus episode. As mentioned previously, during the Hello Tomorrow Asia-Pacific Summit 2023, we got the opportunity to interview all 15 finalists. This episode delivers three of those interviews, plus another interesting company we met. First, we have Paul from Indua in Australia. He shares about their hydrogen energy storage solutions. When linked to wind or solar, they can act as an alternative for diesel generators. Hansen from Green COP in Singapore shares about upcycling of bio waste into biofuels. Rich from Tri Nanotechnologies in India slash Thailand shares about their coating technology to improve the operational efficiency of solar cells. And Shriyansh from Terramatter in India shares about converting carbon dioxide into specialty chemicals and alternative proteins. Enjoy the conversation. Hello, we are here at Hello Tomorrow, um, Asia Pacific Summit. I'm here with Paul, CEO of Indua, a startup in the hydrogen space. Hi, Paul. Hi. So can you tell us a little bit about your, your background, yourself personally, and then, then the company Endura? Yeah, sure. So my background is I, I have a technical background. I'm an engineer, electrical engineer by trade. You know, I've always worked yeah, in my career with early stage technologies and bringing them to market and, and worked a lot in the sustainability space. And, you know, before I was at Endura, I, I spent almost two decades growing a startup in the electric mobility space and taking that international and we exited that company at the start of last year and so you know that sort of leads me to endure where we're we're working with energy and and renewables once again okay so electric mobility that was cars or uh high, high, no high power charging systems for electric vehicles so we we're actually designing and manufacturing those systems okay great so you exited there and then hydrogen now how, how did you find the opportunity uh, look, I was actually, I, I was kicking about and I was doing some entrepreneur in residence work with one of the deep tech startup funds in Australia. And they asked me to look at hydrogen as a theme and, you know, Endure is the company that came out of that work. Okay, fantastic. So uh, the technology then that, that you're bringing to market, um, is that um, born in Australia? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think we... So Endure is an interesting company. We're actually what we call a venture science model company. And what we do is, you know, a traditional startup will have an idea or technology that they'll try to bring to market. And then they'll try to find, you know, a product market fit and then find customers. And, and that's a very long road. With the venture science model, what we do is we actually bring together four key foundation founders, essentially, of the startup. So, you know, someone with operational experience like myself, you know, the, the venture capital fund comes in with, with the capital, but then we have what was, what's called an industry founder and they lean in with their market capability. So for Endure, 
our industry founder is uh, Ampol, who are one of the leading transport fuel providers in, in the Australia and New Zealand um, area. And the technology comes from what we call a research founder. And in this case, it's the CSIRO, which is Australia's national research agency. So those four partners come together from day one. And really what it does is accelerate the, the progress and the time to market for the startup. Okay. So time to market to the startup. So tell us a little bit about the, the product, your plain product offering and yeah, how, how close you are to, to the market. Yeah, sure. So, you know, there's a lot of talk at the moment around hydrogen and its usefulness for hard to abate sectors. And, and one of the key properties that people use hydrogen for is its, its ability as an energy carrier. What we're actually doing is using hydrogen to store the long duration storage problem. And, and what that means is that as we increase the penetration of renewables, you need to add storage into your system to offset the volatility and the uncertainty associated with your generation. So beyond 30%, renewables penetration, you must have some kind of storage. Now, batteries provide some of that storage, but they can't get you all of the way. To get to 100%, you need new forms of energy storage that are more cost-effective um, at storing large quantities of energy for longer periods of time. And that's what we, you know, generally that's half a day to multiple days of, of runtime. Uh, and that's what we call long duration storage. Okay, so the long duration storage. So looking on your on your site, this is like essentially containerized storage or containerized like storage. Yeah. So what we're doing is really interesting. We're we're very unique in that we're using hydrogen hydrogen technology to essentially store energy. So so what the you know our product is what we call a power bank, and what we're actually doing is we package it up into a you know modularized containerized package which is sort of the size of a 20-foot shipping container. But what we're actually doing inside those containers is taking renewable energy, using it to split water to produce hydrogen and oxygen, and then storing that, that hydrogen as a gas and, and just holding it for as long as required in you know, almost any volume that we want, and then converting that back to electricity on demand via a fuel cell. So you know, it's all electrochemical systems. Um, and has a, a number of unique advantages over batteries and other types of battery chemistries. Okay, so who would be your, your first customer or a, a lead demand for, for your systems? Yeah, our modular approach means that we're applicable across a broad range of markets, but really we're targeting, targeting commercial and industrial operations that need energy on site and can't rely on traditional grids. So these are generally off-grid or diesel-dependent um, um, locations and so we we see you know interest from you know the agricultural sector you know te supporting telecommunications infrastructure whether it's just for general communication or for let's say rail infrastructure where they've got signal boxes that are remote as well as just general energy utilities providing you know energy to populations that are rural or, or off-grid and other sort of, you can imagine, remote industries, say, island resorts, you know, those types of applications are where we're seeing a lot of interest for our product. Okay. Are you shipping product yet? So our initial demonstration sites are being commissioned this year. Okay. We've got some trials planned with a, a number of key large corporates that will go into next year. And then really the next phase is, is go to market. So building that pipeline and shipping units to those customers.
Okay. Is this strictly Australia to start or are you international right away? No, look, we, we're taking a phased approach to our growth. So we'll prove out the product and the business model in the harsh Australian environment and, and market, but very rapidly move to international markets where, you know, I, I believe there will be a, a lot stronger drivers for adoption. Okay. You talked about like right now you're proving your demo systems and, and then going to trial them with your select partners. That's right. Beyond that, and let's say beyond fundraising, what, what, what do you guys need to, to scale up? Yeah, look, I think we have a really experienced team with, with sort of deep technical experience. But I think, you know, one of the challenges in hydrogen is that it's really an emerging um, market and, you know, we'll need more people over time as we grow. And, and the biggest challenge right now is finding the right kind of people with those, those right skill sets. You know, there's a lot of not a lot of people with long histories in hydrogen and, and they're in high demand. So I think the access to talent is a really big problem for the, for the industry in general. And, you know, one of the things I'm focused on is how do we amplify the talent that we've already got and help to, to bring new people into, you know, into the sector. Okay. That leads me to, I mean, a follow-up question, right? You said your ideal scenario is you're replacing diesel generators. That's right. And so... Anywhere in the world, you can find someone who can service a diesel generator, right? Because yep. they, they, they've been around for, you know, a hundred years plus. Yeah. And so, you know, especially when, when, once you get your systems deployed, right? How easy are they going to be to service for, let's say, the, the local community? Or will they need a specialized technician? Yeah, sure. So look, one of the benefits of these systems is that they're, they're electrochemical. They have a lot fewer moving parts, which means that the, the service and maintenance requirements are much, much lower. Having said that, um, there are some unique characteristics around dealing with hydrogen. They're electrochemical systems. So there are some specialty um, skills that you need to, to have to deal with it. Now, you know, we can engineer as much as possible, you know, simplified. We can engineer to simplify the servicing and maintenance because, you know, a lot of these systems are going to be remote. So, you know, distance is a challenge anyway. But look, I think... I think fundamentally, you know, we're talking about gases and fluids and, you know, electricity and pumps and, you know, those are all common themes. So there's, you know, people with, you know, current backgrounds in that industry, you know, those skills are definitely transferable. There's just a little bit of extra knowledge that we need to um, transfer across in order for that, for that to happen. Okay. Fantastic. Anything else you want to share today? Um, Look, other, other than to say, you know, I think we spent two years engineering and building our product, but, you know, we're really focused on finding some really unique partners out there to help take this product to the market. I think there's an imperative that we need to be taking action right now to decarbonize, you know, if we're going to meet these, these decarbonization we've, commitments we've made over the next couple of decades. And so, you know, I'm really looking for great partnerships that can help us accelerate that transition. Okay. Thanks for your time today, Paul, and all the best with Endura and getting to market and expanding. Yeah, thank you. It's been good to chat. We are here at Hello Tomorrow, Asia Pacific Investor Day, and we are here with Hansen from uh, Green Cop Biofuels. Um, can you please give us a quick introduction to yourself and your company? Hello, everyone. My name is Hansen. I'm CEO of Green Cop where we are doing biofuel conversions from different types of plant-based waste. Yeah. Okay, great. And where is your, your company um, headquartered? You're in Our Singapore, company right? Our company is based in Singapore. 
basically it's in a one of JDC site where a lot of startups incubate there. So we rent a unit to run our pilot scale there. Yeah. Okay. So tell us a little bit about, I mean, like you, like you said just before, biofuels is not new. So yeah. what, what, what innovation are, are you guys bringing to biofuels? All right. So basically when people talk about biofuel, they will think of Gen 1 where you need to grow your corns, sugar cane to convert to biofuel. That's what the Gen 1 did. But after the pandemic, people started to realize that food is very important, resources here and there. So the price hikes up. So this is where the Gen 2 had the opportunity to roll out, where we convert what remaining after the food being harvested. So this is what we call Gen 2, which is the food waste, where we specifically towards the agricultural waste or garden waste, palm oil waste, etc. So Gen 2 not only limited to that, there are also people doing used cooking oil like Nestle. So we are those focused in solid waste. Yeah. Okay. So solid waste fuel. Yep. Um, do you have a specific fuel like, like a diesel or jet fuel or kind of still figuring it out? Uh, we are basically producing biobutanol where it can be applied either in uh, aviation fuel or maritime fuel. Where maritime now is our first featured market to push towards. So we are closely working with MPA in Singapore, also other shipping industry like partners also, yeah. Okay, so maritime industry. Any specific type of ship like um, Harbor Kranos or are these like the big ocean-going vessels? There are more di clearer direction for biofuel electric vessels, like what you mentioned, harbor craft, passenger craft. There are also any potential that we can open application towards the ocean-going vessels, like grand methanol, etc. in future. You have a new tagline, it's a drop, your goal is a drop-in biofuel, right? Yep. So any conversions needed to, uh, to the engine or just complete drop-in replacement? Well, basically our fuel is compatible to those gasoline engines, so we can do a drop-in. But if you're going to diesel engine, we might need to mix the fuel towards the other conventional fuels because there's regulatory standards based on country itself. For example, Singapore, you have 8217 to accommodate to, so we have to mix according to what the standards is. So it depends on country itself. Yeah. Okay, you mentioned a little bit earlier, like there's different types of feedstock yeah. that you're working towards. Yep. Do each of those kind of be processed separately or is it kind of like throw everything in and then process? Currently, we are more focused like uh, type to type. For example, today we're able to collect sugarcane bagasse, then we will process the sugarcane bagasse. We haven't really tried to mix all together, but uh, our process uh, try to make it to be more flexible in accepting waste because we know that not every country has certain bio waste. For example, in Malaysia, there are more palm oil waste. In China, there might be agricultural waste. In Singapore, there's garden waste. So we try to be more flexible so that our expansion market can be more so-called freedom to enter. Yeah. Okay, what's your batch size right now? Production volume, how, how much can uh, you produce now? Currently, we our scale, the maximum we can take is around 100 to 100 kg per day. So we are fundraising towards a bigger scale, which they call their pre-commercial plant, which can take 10 tons to 100 tons per day. 10 to 100 tons per yeah. day. Um, that commercial plant, would you have that in Singapore or still to be determined? Uh, it's still to be determined, but most likely we will not want to set in Singapore. Basically, it depends on the resources. As I mentioned, garden waste is not as huge volume as agriculture, so we might consider the neighboring country like Malaysia, Indonesia, or even China. Okay, and what, what would be your timeline to get to that commercial pilot? We give us a actual plan, commercial plan is a two-year timeline, where currently we are raising some angel round to make this pilot plan more consistent and more concrete before we go to the more uh, advanced stage. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're fundraising, like you said, for your angel round to kind of make your process stable 
Is, yep. that, is that yep. fair to Correct. say? Correct. Okay. So let's say besides money, what do you need, let's say in terms of partnerships or opportunities? Yeah, there's several we would like to get networking because uh, for example, in maritime, you need to clear a lot of different kind of standards. You really know what industry, but we are limited. We might be more understand to our technology, but in actual commercial partners, there's still a lot of things you need to learn. So from time to time, we will be in contact with those uh, different kind of industry to learn what is actual the pain points. So that kind of connection helps us to actually move in more deeply. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else you, you want to share today? Well, it's not easy to do in uh, so-called asset-heavy green tech, but we hope that we can get more support towards the journey so that we can push towards the decarbonization journey. Okay, great. Thanks for your time, Hanson. Thank you. Hello, we are here at Hello Tomorrow Asia Pacific with Rich from Trinano. Welcome to One North Stories, Rich. Thank you for having me. Hi. Can you share a little bit about your background, yourself and, and the company Trinano? Sure. So my name is Rish Seti. This is a family business with my dad. We started Trinano about two years ago. Both of us have backgrounds in uh, mechanical engineering and metallurgical engineering. And the other founders of the company are doctors in the space of chemistry and nanotechnology. So put together, we've had uh, quite a bit of experience going into, going into this space. We also have another family business that uh, deals with software and engineering services in relation to engineering and construction industries and the energy industry. So this is kind of where it came from. Okay. So then, I mean, you're in the construction energy and you see the opportunity for solar. Is that kind of... It's, it's more the frustration that's arisen from our family businesses being adversely affected by the reliance on fossil fuels in the past, actually. Okay. Um, so... So tell us a little bit, what, what is Trinano doing to address those frustrations of fossil fuel use? Sure. So, I mean, it's, it's making solar more efficient for the world so that it becomes more of a cornerstone of renewable energy. And the struggle with renewable energy is just to get to that, get to that threshold where it becomes more cost efficient and more efficient in general um, for people to use as compared to fossil fuels. And once we break that threshold, then we can start moving into solar, into wind, into all these other things. So what we're doing is focusing on solar and increasing the efficiency of existing and new solar panels by applying a nanomaterial coating process to the surface of any kind of panel um, and increasing their efficiency. Okay, so this is like a, let, let's first talk about retrofit. Sure. Um, so you have a nanofilm and how do you retrofit that on existing solar? Sure. So we use a solid state electro deposition method. So we don't have to take the solar panels out of production. We can do it on existing panel installations or we can do it with OEM manufacturers. And we use our machine and using our patented process, we apply the, the nanomaterial onto the top of the surface of the panel and then it's done. Yeah. Okay. So what type of efficiency gains would, would someone expect? Sure. In so in, in terms of overall performance ratio, it goes up by 18%. And then in terms of energy output, it goes up by 4%. And these are minimums that we've given. In field tests and lab tests, we've reached up as high as like 22 overall ratio. And uh, 8% in energy output. Um, in okay. That's, that's absolutely fantastic. Thank you. So you said the, the company's two years old. So are, are you kind of productized yet or are you still kind of so, piloting, testing before you go to market? Sure. So we're at technology readiness level seven, which is, which means that we've com completed commercial pilots, but we've kind of got like now a chicken in the egg situation going on where in order to execute larger scale pilot projects where we would, you know, bring in mass amounts of revenue. We need more machines and we need automation and we need partnerships and funding for that. And so we've 
we've we've not yet reached that point yet where we're you know generating mass amounts of revenue because we need to get those machines and get those automation get that automation stuff in first. Okay, so that's yeah. the task ahead of you for the next two years or so, I assume. Yeah, I mean, ideally as quick as possible, yeah. but yes, within the one next one or two year time frame, we're looking to start executing projects at like 100 megawatt capacity, 200 megawatt, 300 megawatt capacity. And right now we're doing about five to 10. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is protective coding that, that you're adding on. Can you share a little bit? How does this actually work? Sure. So the protection aspect of it uh, goes into the heat resistance. So because um, of the way that material it creates additional surface area, it resists and traps heat um, and reflects it away from the surface, where, whereas it captures more light in the same process. So that's for the efficiency gain. But by resisting heat from the surface of the panel, it prevents degradation on the surface. The reason why panels degrade in the first place is because the thin polymer layer underneath gets exposed to heat over time. And then there's a 0.8% degradation of efficiency every year of the panel. So what we do is with that, by preventing the, the amount of heat that goes onto this layer, we prevent the degradation of the panel or we significantly reduce it for up to five to 10 years. Okay. So you're also extending the lifetime yes. of the panels in Correct. a high efficiency state or a higher efficiency state. Correct. Okay. So you guys are, you're based in Thailand. Uh-huh. We're based in sorry, India, actually. Sorry, so based in India, but also with a, a, a Thai, yes. Thai connection. Yes, so we, because our original main family business is based in Thailand, we actually started the research project with the Thai Institute, the Asian Institute of Technology, and then we went from there to establish the patent in India because the patenting process is a lot easier in India, and we also have an office in India where we could uh, establish as a base. And then now that we've got the patent, we are looking to establish in other regions as well, especially ones with huge solar capacities such as America, China, India, Brazil, and even European countries. Okay, so where would be, let's say, your, your first mega deployments be? Or that just depends on who you sign up? Yeah, I, that, that's a, yeah, that's a great question. So we've got pilot projects mostly in India right now, and we're looking at a couple of Thai companies through our previous contacts. But once we start getting strategic partners in other areas, we're looking at America as, as the next step. Okay. Anything else you, you want to share today before we wrap up? Uh, no, I would, I'm just hoping that, that people get inspired by this and, and look towards uh, renewables um, in, in, in terms of a technology. And anyone listening that uh, is interested and in this field, we're looking for partnerships and investment um, and anything. So feel free to reach out to us and, and let us know. We, we would love to work with you. Okay, great. Thanks, Rich. Thank you. Thank you, Ruben. We are here in the afternoon of the Hello Tomorrow Asia Pacific Summit. I'm here with Triansh from TerraMatter, a star first time visiting Singapore. So first, welcome to Singapore. Thanks, thanks Ruben. And it's a pleasure being here and it's really nice to connect with you. Okay, great. So tell us a little bit about your background and the company and what you're trying to do. Yeah, sure. So Ruben, my name is Triansh Sanawde and I'm from a company called TerraMatter Technologies. And basically what we do is we are into the business of harnessing carbon to enable a circular economy, particularly a circular carbon ecosystem. That is what we believe to do. And since we are in a deep science te uh, technology setup, we, we are looking forward to create a resilience across the food uh, production systems because particularly these food production systems are under tremendous stress uh, because of factors like uh, the growing global population, uh, extreme weather events and these factors have basically caused a lot of disruptions in the availability and the supply of food systems and food food particularly 
to a lot of population. And these leads to disruptions in, in, in the supply chain leading to price rise hikes. And these particularly affects the lower income group and the middle class segment a lot. So what we have seen and come about is that we look carbon dioxide, which is considered as a potent greenhouse gas element, which is a major problem. So looking at the problem, not as a problem, but as a part of the solution. So that is what we have, uh, this, we have thought about using a problem and making it a part of the solution. Thereby, we are using carbon dioxide to create single cell proteins, which is also called as alternative proteins. So basically, that's what we are, we are working on. Okay, so carbon dioxide to, to alternative protein. That's right. That. So, so this is basically a gaseous fermentation process. It's a two-step gaseous fermentation process, to be precise. What we do is, in the first stage, we are using carbon dioxide from certain carbon high-carbon-emitting high industries like sugar and ethanol, and we are using that particular carbon dioxide and feeding it to these organisms. Now, these microorganisms are ones which are naturally available in the nature, and these survive on carbon dioxide. So these are particularly, you can say, anaerobic organisms, which consume CO2, and they produce certain sort of organic acids, which, which basically becomes a feedstock for our second stage process. In the second stage process, we are using these organic acids from the first stage and feed it to microorganisms, another set of organisms, particularly edible microorganisms. These are called as grass organisms as well. And they are potent enough to create various types of proteins. So when we feed these organic acids to, uh, let's say, a fungus, certain strains of fungus, it can produce single cell proteins. When we feed it to certain strains of algae, we, we can produce fatty acids as well. And also we can use this in a consortium and you can develop a specific amino acid profile, which is essentially what a proper protein package you can see. Okay, so you were sharing just before we started recording, you're at a TRL3. Yeah, which yeah. is quite early. So kind of what size batch or quantity can you do now? And then how do you scale up to, to what's required for market? All right. So currently at our POC stage, uh, we are uh, doing experiments, uh, uh, particularly at the flask level and a two liter fermenter. That is where we, we are going to study the initial primary results. And then further going down the line by a year's time from now, next year, we would be expanding to a pilot scale, which will be around a 50 liter to 100 liter fermenter. Okay, so 50 to 100 liters next year that, per batch. How, how long does this process take? So it's a two-stage process. Well, this is uh, basically a continuous uh, process, unlike the batch processes. Well, as of now, the studies that we are doing, these organisms basically have been particularly brought from the United States. And initially, there's around three to four months of time where they where we need to revive these organisms and create certain habitable conditions for them because these are, again, as I said, CO2-consuming uh, organ organisms. So these need to be uh, kept in a specific environment with specific media given to them so that they survive. And through that survival itself, they, um, they produce those organic acids that I was referring to. So this particularly is around, you can say, six to seven months of time that this particular organism takes to adapt to the conditions and then grow from there. Okay, so the end result is these alternative proteins. That's right. Is this for human consumption or animal feeds or would be, let's say, your first buyers of this? Yeah, right. So um, the uh, alternative proteins and the single cell proteins that we are producing is particularly for human grade consumption and as well as animal, animal consumption as well. The reason I'm saying this is because the substrate that we're using, the CO2, is being coming is coming from the fermentation processes of sugar and ethanol industries and not from the combustion of coal. Because combustion-based CO2, if we use that, there is a possibility that it, it can lead to toxication of the food product uh, or the end product. 
but that is what we did not or did not want to happen. So that's the reason we are using a fermentation, uh, the CO2 coming as a byproduct from the fermentations of ethanol industry. And uh, we'll, we use that to create these alternative proteins. Now, these proteins basically are, again, for human grade cons human consumption as well as animal food consumption, depending upon what kind of amino acid profiles that we are creating. So after we obtain these end products, well, there is a profile estimation that is done and product characterization that is being done. So based upon what amino acids we have we have at our disposal through the, through the process, we would offer that particular product to either uh, primarily to the food for the human consumption as well. So just to give you clarity that the proteins that we obtain in the second stage is dependent upon the organism that we're using in the second stage. And also it would, that organism or that particular protein target molecule would depend upon what end application that we are looking forward to. So these alternative proteins, what we are doing is basically as it can be used as an ingredient. So we are into the B2B space. So we're not making any end product as such, but we are providing ingredients to these end product formulation companies. So it can go to your plant-based alternative products like your alternative meat and alternative dairies and cheeses, or as well as well it can go to the animal feed sector where specific sort of amino acids are you are needed, which comes from soybean and corn, and we can just simply you know displace soybean and corn and provide these protein isolates uh, rather instead. Okay, so you shared about like next year you get to this pilot phase where you're doing about 100 liters or so. What comes after that? I mean, more scale up, but what do you actually need to, to scale up further? And so as I say, rich quantities where you can have, let's say, regular supply chain partners upstream buying from you. Okay. So once we conduct the pilot process, we, we have the next milestone where we are going to expand our target molecule portfolios. So initially what we, what we need to create is something like on a similar basis of mycelium that has been created by a company called Quan for decades. So once we have a product established in the market, we uh, intend to create complex protein structures like collagens, your peptides, uh, lactoferrin. So, so, so once the pilot gets completed, my, my plan is to expand our research team into downstream processing and further explore these complex protein structures. And that would be, again, we have a specific model we are looking forward to create in our product development, which is called as the MAAS, Microorganism as a Service where the, the end pro product, the process and the technology becomes a one-stop solution for these end product formulation companies where they require a specific target molecule for as an ingredient to their recipes. So what we can do is we can create that, uh, we can custom tailor, uh, customize the process for uh, creating those specific target molecules. Okay, fantastic. Thanks so much for your sharing. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to share before we, before we wrap up? Well, it's being my first time in Singapore and definitely it's a, it's a city to be in. Very systematic, very, very clean. And hopefully I'll be more here often. Okay, great. Well, thanks for your time. Thank you very much, Ruben. Thanks a lot. And with that, thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help to grow the show by sharing with a friend or colleague. Please also hit like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to look out for future episodes as we explore the intersection of science, technology, and business in Singapore together.